All right. Hey, morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Jim. Anybody ever got a cup of coffee from Lynn before? If you have a cup of coffee, if you've ever got a cup of coffee here, you have got a cup of coffee from Lynn before because she is always over there. And if you're new to Ascent, uh, part of what we do is um, every person has a story, and we like to stop every once in a while and just dive into somebody's story a little bit so we know that the people uh, that we're with, that's, that's huge for us as a church. And so um, we, if, if you're new, we've been going through a series called Trailhead, and what it is, is we've had a group of people, almost 300 people actually, that are doing kind of a six-month or six-week uh, kind of introduction to a small group type thing where they're in a group of 20 people. Uh, the trailhead stuff is all written by our staff or people in our church that have written material for it. And so these groups are all going through it and it's been really cool uh, to see that happening. And it's kind of broke out. You know, there's those big signs out there that say uh, to know and be known and make him known. That's, that's our uh, kind of mantra around here is uh, to know God and our connection with Christ. Uh, to be known by other people is so critical, and we're going to talk more about that today, and that's partially why we're showing Lynn's story. And then uh, to make him known, how do, how do people know who Jesus is? So, uh, so today we're going to dive in a little bit more. Uh, we talked about knowing God these first two weeks, and then today we're going to dive into that idea of to be known. But can I just, before I say anything else, just say, welcome to Rocktober. <laughs> Come on. And if you don't like baseball, you don't get baseball. And so if, you might need to sit down with me and I'll explain to you and watch, you know, we'll, we'll watch a game together and you'll get it by the time it's over. But, and I just, I'm just so happy today. Even if we backed our way in, I'm just so happy today. So, uh, all right, so... Let, let's, let's talk about this. I, I want to I lead you off by uh, sharing, some of you guys know this about me. I just like, I'm like a, I like reading little studies. So, you know, uh, you, you read these in the news. Some scientists studied this and they found that I kind of like those little things. I'm not like smart enough to do the studies myself, but I like, you know, hearing about them. And so I would just share with you my very favorite one. I'm sorry, but if you like this kind of thing, one of you will howl for more at the end of this. This is classic case of overpromise, underdeliver. But I'm going to show you that anyway. Honestly, this is was one of my favorite all-time studies that was done. Get this: some researchers in the UK went out to all these farms around there, cattle ranches, and they started interviewing the farmers. And they asked them a couple questions, two questions in particular. Question number one was, tell us the milk output of your cows. Just give us the number. How many liters are they producing? Second question was, do you name your cows or not? Do your cows have names? Betsy, <laughs> Susie, you know, what's, what's another cow name? Sheila, whatever the cow name is. <laughs> Do you name your cows or do you just, they're just cow. They're just milk machine, you know? That's the name of your cow. Get this. The end of the study, they found out that cows and ranchers that named their cows, that gave them a name, those cows produced one liter more of milk per day than cows that do not have names. Somebody's got to howl for more right now. <laughs> Can you believe that? 
Guys, cows that have names produce more milk than cows that don't. Is that amazing to you? I'm blown away. Here's the deal. Some of us guys, like, you know, some of us guys are like, ah, oh, you know, I'm an American, and I'm a self-made man, and I'm desperado, and Lone Ranger, and I don't need friends. I don't need to be known. You know, like, there's a, even subconsciously, come on, there's, we like Rambo movies. Like, there's a little piece of us that has that in us. Guys, unless we have less of a relational ability than a cow, we have got to be known by other people. Now, there was another study, a Harvard study a few years ago that said, if you feel in your life, man, this is kind of scary, actually. If you feel in your life like you would describe yourself as disconnected from other people, it is the equivalent, according to Harvard, of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We see the physical manifestation of that in you as if you were a chain smoker. It compared not knowing people and being connected to people as being a lifelong alcoholic. The article basically goes on to say, we spend so much time talking about, hey, don't smoke, you know, if you want to be in good health, you got to eat this, you got to not smoke, you got to not drink, you know. All this stuff about being in good health, the article basically said maybe the biggest indicator of how healthy physically you will be later in life is your friendships. You know, for me, I look at that and go, man, this is not something we talk about that often, is it? How many of us, um, Boulder's an educated city, right? Highly educated city, lots of people have master's degrees, um, how many of us have ever learned how to build friendships? We, we could go around in this room, and I'm sure there's a just phenomenal amount of study that's happening here and different classes that we've all taken, and wow, that's interesting. Has anybody here ever taken a class or been taught by somebody how to build friendships, relationships? I want us to do that today. I want us to talk about that today. I want to show you some scripture here in a second around that I think is going to pull out of us some real practical stuff about how we can help build the kind of relationships that build health into our lives, the kind of health that I think God wants us to have. Um, and I'll say this. Even if you're here and you're somebody that doesn't consider yourself a Christian, you know, you're maybe, right, it's, you're allowed to be skeptical about all this God stuff. Even if that's true about you, I hope you'll look at this stuff today and just go, for my own like, personal health, this, this stuff's important. And maybe we all come at it from that angle of humility going, God, what could you teach me today about these kinds of relationships? I, I'll show you one more um, little thing that I ran into that I just, again, fascinated by. Uh, a guy by the name of Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Uh, and the book... Basically, the idea of bowling alone is that Americans are not joiners anymore. We don't sign up for groups. We don't, we don't sign up for bowling leagues, except for you, Dad. I know you're somewhere. Um, but we generally don't do that anymore. And so the social capital, he calls it, of Americans is declining. And he makes a statement in here. You've read it by now because you're looking at that. If you belong to no groups, but you decide to join a group, you cut your risk of dying over the next year by 50%. Is that just stunning to you? This stuff's important. 
the relationships we have are important. So important. I was thinking about that, and I thought, man, we had 300 people who signed up for Trailhead. You just cut your chance of dying by 50% in the next year. by signing. That's awesome. Chris and I were talking about that, and we were like, you know, how do we market this? How do we encourage people to get in there? And we just thought, why don't we say this? Why don't we say, Trailhead, join us or die? You know, like that's, that should be our little mantra. So in January, you're going to hear that. Join us or die when it comes to Trailhead in January. Guys, why has God set it up this way? You ever stop and think, God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. That's what we read in Scripture, that there's this kind of crazy thing that God is one, but God's three. Why? He didn't have to do it that way, did he? Is it even in the very core, the nature of who God is, is relationship. God has all the power, all the ability. By definition, God doesn't need anything. And yet, for some reason, God chooses to be three. Father, Son, Spirit. There's relationship happening there. There's community even within God. Doesn't that seem humble to you? And you read about this in the Scripture over and over again, constantly talking about the importance of community. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Interesting that Jesus is saying, by my spirit, my spirit, my Holy Spirit will be present in two or more, in a gathering of a community. There's almost like this dividing line between like, yeah, if you want to go it on your own, God tends to work less when people are solo acts. And God tends to work more when people decide, no, I'm going to be part of a community. In Hebrews, uh, this passage from uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. You know, some people, right, we're in the habit of not being together. This is why a gathering like this is so important. And let's just make it clear. Not so you can come listen to hear me and Bill. That is part of what we do on the weekend. But the truth is, I, I've said this before, and some of you have been nice, and I'm not fishing for compliments when I say this. I want you to know this. The truth is, you can find better sermons online than what you hear at Ascent every week. Okay? Go listen to John Ortberg. Go listen to Andy Stanley. I can tell you a list of folks. The reason why we're part of a church community is because we believe the power of relationships are so important in the context of God working among us. I always think it's so funny if, if, if there's somebody that wants to be a part of a church, church community but actually doesn't want to meet other people, again, I'd say go listen online because you're not being necessarily a part of a church community. You're just attending an event. We want to be a church, not an event. And that's why what happens out in that cafe we see is so important. Everything that goes on around here relationally is so key to who we are because it comes right out of the scripture. Don't get in the habit of not meeting together because there's encouragement that happens there. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 6. It says this. It says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Do you get this? Walk alongside other people and share their burdens, not just because that's a nice thing to do. Paul says, 
walk alongside other people and share their burdens because that, in a way, is fulfilling the law of Christ. Like, this goes to the nature of how God sees who he is. The sharing of burdens with each other fulfills the law of Christ, not just, oh, that's a good thing to do. It's, it's so key for us to have these, and I could keep throwing little Bible passages at you. So key for us to have these kinds of relationships. Now, here's the question. How many of us actually feel like we have good relationships? I got to be honest. I get on Facebook and I'm like, dude, everybody's got friends but me. (laughs) You realize when asked, most Americans when asked, how many people, give me a number. How many people in your life do you have as a close confidant where you can share just about anything to? Do you know what the number one answer is that Americans give to that question? The number one answer is zero. Most Americans would say, I don't have somebody that close to me I can share anything with. And the number has tripled over the last few decades. We may think we're the only ones that don't have friends and everybody is all buddy-buddy with each other. The truth is the statistics say that we live in a nation of people who are lonely. And there's reasons for it. Think of all the things that are stacked against us right now. I mean, you think about your life, um, even money. The fact that you may not feel like you have a lot of money, but I'm just telling, you know, obviously relative to the rest of the world or relative to uh, historically speaking, we're a pretty affluent culture. This is one of the only times in human history where we can drive into our garage, shut the garage door, go into our home, behind our fenced house, and just we don't need our neighbors. Affluence actually can drive isolation, and we live in that place. Technology... I'm not an anti-tech guy. I actually think tech can bring people together in pretty amazing ways, but there's ways where it doesn't. I was just thinking, my son Micah and I are talking about, you know, we've been working on building Adirondack chairs and building this table. When we've been working on that, you know, 10 years ago, we would have had to have found one of you who was way better at building furniture than us to teach us, and we would have been in a relationship with you because you'd be showing us how to build something. We don't do that anymore. I get on AnnaWhite.com and then I go onto YouTube and I find somebody who shows me how to use a little Craig Bolt jig thing, right? Technology can bring us together. It can pull us apart too. We move now more than ever before. People are constantly in flux, moving. I think about Jesus and I think his dad didn't take a job in Jerusalem at a higher paying carpentry firm. They didn't move around. They stayed in one place. But we are constantly mobile, disrupting those kinds of relationships. We're overscheduled. We're always taking our kids somewhere. We're doing this. We got that. We got this. Sometimes they build, help build relationships, sometimes they don't. But here's again, the biggest thing that I think works against us is this. Who has taught us? Who's taught us how to have relationships? Where do we learn that in our culture today? What I want us to do is I want us to look at this passage where Jesus is going to interact with a group of people and I think there's some clues in here for how we can practically build relationships with other people. It's one thing to diagnose it all and say, oh, the world's terrible. We don't have friends. 
It's another thing to say, okay, what can I do proactively pursuing relationships with other people? And I think you're going to see it here in Luke chapter 5. So the context of the passage is Jesus is always out doing his thing, teaching here, healing there. You know, he's moving, he's constantly on the go. And so now we're finding him and he has come into the city and uh, there's some guys in the city who have a friend who is paralyzed, who cannot get up off his mat. And they hear that Jesus is coming to town and so here's what happens, okay? Uh, This is from uh, Luke chapter five in, I think we're starting in verse 17. Okay, it says, one day while Jesus was teaching, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. And then Luke has this little commentary. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Basically, these guys were the primetime rule keepers, and they were always trying to find Jesus breaking the rules. And so they were like spies, always on Jesus, trying to find him, trying to catch him doing something. That's, if you read the rest of the story, you're going to see why that's important. But for our purposes, you know, we're going to, We're going to focus somewhere else. Uh, And it says, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So what you're going to find here in just a second is that Jesus, Jesus, when he went out and teach, would attract these big crowds. People come, people want to hear him. That's why you almost always hear Jesus outdoors when he's teaching because he's on a hillside, he's down by the lake, he's on a boat. There's got to be room for all these people to hear him speaking. This is one of the only times that Jesus, we find Jesus inside. And so he's inside teaching. Maybe it was hot and sunny. He didn't want to sunburn. So he's inside. But this house that he's in is too small for the crowd. So houses back during this time were maybe like, think about the size of the stage. It could be the size of a house uh, during Jesus' day. And so he's inside. He's teaching nowhere near big enough to take the crowd because people wanted to hear him. And so the crowd is not only completely filling the house, but they're spilling outside onto the street. And these guys come and look what they come with. This is from uh, verse 18, the beginning of verse 18. It says, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. I want us to look at this for a second. I actually think just that one sentence has a couple clues for us on real practical relationship building. First of all, interesting to me that these guys have a friend who can't walk. Now, I know that in our day and age, we might think, yeah, that's not, that's not unusual. In this day and age, the whole culture was set up around who had power and influence and who didn't. And anybody who had power and influence had uh, honor, and anybody who didn't had shame. And your job was, you wanted honor. You didn't want shame. To be friends with somebody that maybe didn't have power or influence, might bring shame back on you. The first thing I think about this passage is so great is these guys don't care. These guys don't care if he doesn't have power. What they care about is him. Man, I, just a little confession. Those of you middle and high schoolers, maybe you'll relate to this. Maybe you'll be like, man, that's a bad pastor. Um, but when I was in middle and high school, I would say I did something with my friendships. I kind of looked at my relationships with other people and I evaluated those friendships. And I evaluated them basically on one thing. And the thing I evaluated my friendships on was by being friends with Joe, 
does that elevate the way other people see me? Or does it decrease the way people see me? In other words, by being friends with Joe, am I cooler? Or does it decrease my cool factor? And I would look at my friendships and evaluate my friendships based on that prime ingredient. Now, those of us who are beyond middle and high school, we know we can look back. Isn't it funny? The people that were constantly trying to be cool uh, are the ones that we see later in life who are having a hard go. It's the ones who just killed people with their kindness are the ones that you, go, that you remember and you still, to this day, man, love those guys. But when you're, for the thick of it, for me in middle and high school, that was how I evaluated my friendships. Now, those of us who are beyond middle and high school, aren't you glad adults don't do that? Wow. Man, isn't it true that it doesn't matter if you're 14 or 44, we still often look at our relationships and we think, I want to be friends with the guy who has money. I want to be friends with the guy that's got some sort of influence or power. I want to be friends with the good-looking people. Somehow in us, there's something that feeds our own sense of self by who we choose as our friendships. And yet, what you see out of these guys who will pick up the mat and walk with them, they don't care about rank. They don't care about hierarchy. What they care about is their buddy. Man, I sometimes wonder if some of us end up feeling lonely and alone because we're not finding people, even subconsciously, that meet the standards that we've set for ourselves on who should be our friends and who can't be. And yet these guys are willing to pick up the mat and bring them into Jesus. Can we somehow pray that God would eliminate our sense of rank? That's one of the reasons I love about this church is we have CEO types that are here and we have people who are doing what others would consider the most mundane jobs. And that's the beauty of the kingdom of God. And if, I'll tell you this much, if God valued rank, we would all be in trouble. Because you can't possibly meet up to his standard. You know, let's take that for a second though. So that's the perspective of the guys who are carrying the mat. Awesome. What about the perspective from the guy laying on the mat? You know, it says... Here he is. He's paralyzed. You ever stop to think? He didn't have to let himself be carried in. We might think, oh, well, of course he'd want to because he's going to get healed, and we all know that. He didn't know that. This is a miracle. I mean, I, what he could have done is he could have said, do not take me out into that crowd. I do not want to be carried out, paraded in front of a group of people. I don't want them seeing my legs that don't work. That's the last thing I want to do is to have somebody see how incredibly vulnerable I am. And yet, man, this guy shows us one of the 
biggest keys about relationships is are you a vulnerable person? You ever try to be friends with somebody that never shows a weakness? Let me, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you a question and then I'll tell you the answer. I'm going to answer it for you. Have you ever been friends with somebody who never shows any kind of weakness? You ever been friends with somebody like that? You might think you have, but the answer actually is no. You've been acquaintances. But no one has ever been friends with somebody that doesn't show vulnerability. Vulnerability is central to relationships. Guys, if you've been there, you know this. If you've had a friend that can't, every time you ask him how things are, oh, it's great, everything's great, man, it's perfect, my Facebook page is perfect, every, you know, Instagram, everything, everything's lined up, everything's great, awesome. For me, I, you know what it reminds me of? is how not great I am. It's almost impossible to be friends with somebody like that because it'll either become about me sharing all my vulnerabilities and it's about me then, or it's about me being phony because I feel like I can't share any of those things and then we actually don't have a friendship. Again, we're acquaintances. Uh, my wife Karen and I were talking about this week, just talking about our friendships, relationships, how we build them, and she told me the story that was really cool. Um, Bill and Jackie, Bill's my co-pastor, and Karen and I have been friends for years, long before Ascent was ever an idea. And years ago, uh, Jackie invited Karen over to her house. And Karen told me it was so cool. She walked into Jackie's house, and one of the first things she noticed in Jackie's house was dirty dishes <laughs> and laundry on the ground. And, you know, I don't know, was there dog food or something, like, spilled out of the bowl? Or... And Karen walked in, and she went, oh, oh, good. I can just be me. Here's a little challenge. Next time you have somebody over for dinner, go real moderate on the cleanup, okay? <laughs> it, it's a risk. It's a risk to be vulnerable. But without vulnerability, you cannot have relationships. I'm telling you, when you walk into a house and everything is perfect, like you're like, do people live here? You know, like it's that perfect. I can almost guarantee you if you're eating dinner there, you're in for a night of superficial conversation. Because there's, without vulnerability, we don't go anywhere. There's always surface level, but vulnerability is actually what takes a relationship to the next level. Tons of study out there about this right now, by the way, if you want to read about it. All right. No rank. Being vulnerable. Pulling that right out of what's going on with the guy on the mat. But then look at this last one that we're going to see here. I'm going I'm to continue on. So what happens? These guys come. There's a big crowd. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, and they took off some tiles, which, by the way, if I'm the homeowner, I'm like, that's awesome. Thanks for <laughs> ruining my roof. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. All right, this is classic you read this in the Bible, and you actually have to think about this for a second of what happened here. All right. If we've got a guy who's on a mat who can't walk, and we're going to get him onto the roof, how are we going to do that? 
So think about this. Like, you know, this is our house right here. I, I'm going to need some guys and girls, and I'm going to need like 20 of you. Not really. I, I love it, but, you know, no. Um, I'm going I'm to need like 20 of you to come down. We're going to have to figure this out. We're going to pick them up over our heads. Well, we get the mat over our heads, and we realize, well, that was dumb. We actually have to have some guys on the roof, too, to catch him, right? So uh, five of you go up there. We're going to need a ladder. Somebody got a ladder? Run home and get your ladder. Come back. They come back. We put a ladder on the side. Five guys go up. The other of us are down here. We pick it up. We hoist it up over our heads. Can they reach down and pull it up? Or are they going to need rope? Or how are we going to do this? Okay, well, let's say we figure it out. Like, we push them up. They're able to pull them up. Now they're on the roof. Their goal is drop him right in front of Jesus. You can't drop him somewhere else in the house. It's got to be, boom, right in front of him. How are you going to get in front of him? They can't see down into the house. We're going to need to have a messenger. So I'm going to stand down here, and I'm looking in the house. The guys are up with the cot, and I'm saying, 10 feet that way. Well, they go 10 feet that way, and then they can't see or hear me anymore. So we're going to have a messenger on the end of the house, and I'm going to say, 10 feet that way. And he's going to say, 10 feet that way. They move over there. Uh, five feet to the left. Five feet to the left, right? They move. They finally, they find their spot. We're going to have to cut through this, the, the ceiling now. What, what tools are we going to need? We might need a saw. We might need, okay, go home, get your saw. On and on. Finally, we cut this hole. It's got to be a pretty big hole for a guy on a mat. We cut this huge hole out of this poor guy's roof. And then we, we take it aside. We set it over. And then how are you going to get a guy, I don't know, is he 150 pounds, 180 pounds? How are you going to get him down there? Are the, is the crowd going to catch him? Again, is it a pulley system? Like something's got to happen to figure out how we're going to do this. Guys, the point is getting someone or a group of people coming to Jesus doesn't happen by accident. What you see in the passage is, and it's kind of unspoken, there's incredible intentionality that's going on here. Are we intentional about our relationships? Some of us in this room, man, I could ask you, and you'd be like, yeah, I've got a plan for my grades. I'm going to get a four point, and here's how I'm going to do it. Some of us in this room, I've got a five-year plan at work. Here's, here's my, you know, uh, markers I want to hit, year one, year three, year five. Some of us have, you know, long-term financial plans. Have we thought about our intentionality around our relationships. Who is it that you're going to connect to on the limited time that you have? How are you going to do that? You know, when is the best time for us to promote those? If we're not intentional about it, I, it's, in my experience, it is doubtful that it is going to happen. You know, uh, one of the things that all these people who are doing Trailhead, here's another commercial for it, Join us or die. Um, all, all, all these people that are doing Trailhead right now, are uh, most of them are on a little app on their phone that has all the material on it, and you can actually interact with other people on it. And so I got on there this week, and I'm like, ooh, this is cool. I got all these people, and what am I going to say? And so I, I was like, I'm going to get some input on my talk for this week. So I wrote everybody on the, on the Trailhead app. I said, hey, uh, here's what I'm talking about. Anybody got any ideas? Uh, number one answer I got back by far was the idea of 
The way that people build relationships only happens if you are intentional. And one person made the comment of like, you have to be not only intentional, but intentional about inviting. And it just got me thinking, who are the inviters? Where are the inviters? Where, where are the folks that invite people to dinner, to lunch? Are you that person at your work? Are you the person at that school? Again, it takes vulnerability to do it. And sometimes what happens when we invite somebody is they say no, and then we go, oh, and we back off. And in the name of being rejected once, we don't end up with relationships with other people. But this, look at the tenacity of these guys that have him on the mat. They're not giving up. There's a tenacious quality of being intentional about relationships that you see in this passage. Do we have it in our lives? Because there's many parts of life where relationships will not be handed to us. Uh, I'm going to give you one more study. Yes. Sneaking it in at the end. This was a group called the Pew Research uh, Group that did a study a couple years back that looked at people's life satisfaction. They asked people all different ages, how happy are you with life? Put a number on it, one to ten. And they put their numbers on it, and then uh, they charted when is the happiest parts of life, and they found something really interesting. They found a chart that looks like this. Happy, happy, happy. Oh, getting less happy. I hit the bottom, and then I end up somewhere over there. They started interviewing people at age 18. Anybody want to guess what the lowest point of life satisfaction, what age? Anybody want to guess? 35. 51 was what they said was the bottom. Is anybody here 51 years old? <laughs> right there. Two guys in the back. Craig, Richard. Okay. Sorry, guys. Hey, on the bright side, it's all uphill from here. Yeah. <laughs> On the downside, those of you 18-year-olds who are all happy, whoo, get ready for shoots and ladders. So, yeah. <laughs> why, I, you know, the article was talking about, well, the reason why that people are, you know, why 51 stinks is because uh, economically you're getting squeezed, you got kids going off to college, you got parents whose health is in trouble, you got blah, 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 you know, you're home mortgage, all the stuff, everything's falling apart. That's why things are so bad at age 51. I started thinking about this. I actually wonder if this chart has to do with the intentionality required for relationships. Think about this for a second. If I'm 18 years old and I am going to school every single day, I am constantly in relationship with other people. I am just barraged by friendships that I've got. I mean, it's so funny around our house, you guys. My kids, uh, you know, Josh and Micah, Josh especially, as a high school kid, he will, he will come home every night and say, what are we doing tonight? What's going on tonight? Who are we hanging out with? What's, what's happening? You know? And Karen and I are like, we're staying home tonight. Like, what do you, what do you think we're doing tonight? You know? But... He, he's constantly in this world swimming with the relationships that are pushed, pushed, pushed. Even 
like those of us, you know, we go to college, we're in those relationships. You get out of college, you know, maybe you get married, you're, um, you have kids, you still are, like, if, when your kids go to preschool, that's a great time of life to build relationships. There's still strong relationships that can happen when all the, you know, moms and dads of kindergartners hang out and wave their kid goodbye, you know. The truth is when you're 51, your kid's getting on the RTD and taking it, you know, to class, and you're never going to meet any of their teachers or anything like that. They're just gone. They're driving their own car. There's no venues where you are necessarily running into other people in the same way that's true here. The intentionality, what my point is, the intentionality required on this probably peaks down here somewhere if we want to have great relationships. I wonder if this thing has more to do with relationships than it has to do with economics. Guys, how are we being intentional? How are we inviting? Again, look at these guys in the passage here. Incredible intentionality that they have around bringing their buddy to Jesus. Can we do that? Are we doing that with our own relationships as well? And if not, how can we change that? I'll show you the last thing. This is, this is Jesus at the end coming in like Jesus does and just boom, putting his stamp on this. I love it. Uh, this last little uh, passage says, they lowered him down. He's right in front of them. Jesus looks at all this, this scene, this beautiful scene, right? Come on, this is awesome. And Jesus looks at it and he goes, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. It's kind of funny he doesn't start with, oh, you can walk now. Your sins are forgiven. He, Jesus, Jesus is the master at always cutting actually to the deeper issue inside of us, not leaving it on what, what we see as the big issue. Jesus goes even a step deeper. He does it again here. And, and you really should read the rest of this passage because more happens. But what I, what I want you to see, though, is a key word here that Jesus has, boom, stamped on this. Do you see the key word in that sentence right there? It's the second word. That's a hint. Seeing their faith. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man. Not seeing the faith of this cool guy who's on the mat. Jesus goes, I value community. I value friendships. I act when two or more are gathered. I'm there. Guys, it's so key to who we are. It's so key for us as a church to build the kind of community that you see in this passage and so I want to ask you, and we're going to, we're going to take a second here. I'm just going to pray. And as I pray, what I want you to do, we're going to, we're going to leave this up on the screen, just these three words. And what I want you to do is I want you just to look at it. And maybe there's a conversation with God that says, God, is it this? Is it that I never learned to be vulnerable because of my family of origin or because of my work environment? Or is it because I just am lacking the intentionality right now and I need to think more deeply about how important these relationships are and what I can practically do to make them happen? I want us to pray and I want you to just talk to God in a moment of silence here and ask God to help you with, help us all with this. Which one? And then I'll tell you what, go to lunch and share with somebody which one you chose and why. So God, we're going to, Thank you, first of all, that you're not a lone ranger. Thank you that you don't like going it alone, that even in the core of who you are as community and you've wired that into us, 
And uh, Lord, but I just we live in a day and age where this isn't easy and we need your help. So God, we want to just spend a few moments in silence and speak to us right now about uh, maybe which one of these you're speaking to us saying, pursue that one. Lord, we love you, and we, um, again, give thanks for who you are. We could have got a different kind of God than we got, but we got you, and we're glad. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.